Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles tonight to uh, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're going to look at the 10th verse. Uh, Jesus, uh, it's, a, it's a verse that's commonly known. Hope you know it. Hope you're aware of it. But we want to talk a little bit about uh, spiritual dominion tonight. Praise the Lord. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus is speaking, and he's contrasting himself with the devil, and he says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Anything the devil brings into your life will steal, kill, and destroy. Anything that steals, kills, and destroys is of the devil. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing to me how few people are aware of or, or give uh, attention to the fact that the devil sets traps in your life specifically to rob the things of God from your life. But the Bible says that the thief has one purpose, and it's identified as stealing, killing, and destroying. The devil wants to destroy God's plan for your life. The devil wants to steal the things that Jesus purchased for you with his blood. And the purpose, every purpose that the devil has, comes down to that one thing. He's trying to take something from you or keep you out of something that belongs to you. So Jesus is being very specific when he says, The thief cometh not but for... In other words, he's saying here's the, only, the one and the only one purpose the devil ever has, and that is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he wants to do to you as an individual, and that's what he wants to do in every area of your life. He wants to destroy as much of your opportunity to receive from God as possible. He, if, if he can't keep you, well, he, if, assuming that you're, you've given your heart to Jesus, he wasn't strong enough to keep you from getting saved. But now that you're saved, he wants to keep any of the blessings of God from being yours, any and all of them. So Jesus said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. Notice the contrast between stealing, killing, and destroying. The opposite of that is life. The life of God keeps you from being stolen from. The life of God keeps destruction from taking place in your life. The life of God keeps death from taking hold. But I am come that you might have life. And that they might have it more abundantly. Now, what does he mean when he talks about life? And specifically, what does he mean when he talks about abundant life? Well, we have to assume that Jesus said that since this is the reason that he came, to bring us life and to bring us this abundant life, we have to assume that his purpose, as described and defined in the Bible, is the fulfillment of bringing us life. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, it tells us about the sacrifice that Jesus made. It tells us about what Jesus did for us on the cross. In other words, it describes what life entails. Isaiah chapter 53, verse. Uh, let's start in verse 4. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The word griefs is the word pains. The word sorrows is the word sickness. I'm sorry, I got those backwards. The word griefs is sickness and the word sorrows is the word pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Well, that's sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's sins too. The difference between transgressions and iniquities means he paid the price for Adam's sin, which brought uh, sin and death into the world, and then he paid the price for your individual sins. So not only did he pay the price for sin, singular, he paid the price for your sins, plural. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, the word peace is the word shalom. It means well-being in every area. It's saying he paid the price or paid the punishment, suffered the punishment for everything that would rob you of well-being. The word peace is translated prosperity sometimes in the Old Testament. So that means he paid the punishment 
for that prosperity that the devil would try to, would try to and had uh, for thousands of years robbed from mankind. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. So when Jesus talks about bringing us abundant life, he says his only purpose, Jesus, uh, Satan's only purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus' only purpose was to bring us life. How did he do that? By paying the price for sin and sins. We'll kind of group those together, but you understand the difference. Paid the price for sin, plural, of sin singular, and your individual sins, plural. And he paid the price for everything that would rob you financially or emotionally, rob your, your well-being in life in any and every area. And he paid the price for sickness. So when Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, he's specifically saying, I came to bring you dominion over sin and death and sickness and poverty. Abundant life is dominion over sin. It's dominion over death. It's dominion over poverty. It's dominion over sickness. Now, it's an interesting thing. John, made, John Lake made a, uh, made a statement in uh, some of his writings. He had an outstanding healing ministry. I, I would encourage you to read anything and everything you can after Dr. Lake. He's, um, uh, he spent a number of years in South Africa and had a, had a, a healing ministry that, uh, um, that spawned churches that still exist today. And uh, then he, after um, uh, his wife died while he was there, and so he had young children, so he brought those young children back to the States and started a ministry in Spokane, Washington. And in Spokane, Washington, he started what, uh, what he called were healing rooms. He continued his healing ministry, but in a different fashion. He didn't have healing rooms in South Africa. I don't think people understand that you adapt ministry to the place that you're at. People think it's all the same thing, and, and a lot of times people are stuck in time wars. Well, they did this 20 years ago. Well, what they did 20 years ago may not fit what we need to do today. So he adapted his ministry, and they had healing rooms. And uh, and in these healing rooms, they would minister to people. He would have regular meetings, regular church services, and things like that. But then uh, every day of the week, these healing rooms would be open, or every weekday uh, they would be open at least. And uh, And people could come, and there would be individuals who knew uh, what authority we had over sickness, what authority Jesus had given the church over sickness and disease, and so they would be prayed for day after day after day. Now, they operated a little differently than, than what we might be used to. They'd pray for somebody until they got it. They operated kind of like a doctor does. You know, you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, take this medicine, take these three times a day, and then come back next week. They'd pray for them, give them God's medicine, which is the Word of God, and say, come back tomorrow. And there were many cases, many uh, instances where um, uh, people would be prayed for for, um, well, I remember one story they told about a guy that had uh, cancer of the stomach. And uh, and it was a real dire situation. And the first 10 days, they came every every day for 30 days. First 10 days, they couldn't see any any results, no no change, no difference in him whatsoever. But beginning in day 11, then his circumstances started to change. His symptoms started to, to diminish. And by the end of the 30 days, he was perfectly healed. I'm sure glad he didn't give up after the first day. I wonder how many people would have. I would guess a lot of folks. In my experience, a lot of folks give up if they don't get instant results. But they'd just stay after it. They'd just keep ministering life to people. Now, the first time they'd pray for them, they'd pray for them to be healed. But after that, they'd minister life to them. If they had prayed for them the second or the third or the fifth or the thirtieth day for them to be healed again, just like they did the first day, that would have been a prayer of unbelief because that would have been saying we didn't believe that God heard us the first time we prayed. 
But they would pray in faith, not the prayer of faith, but they would pray in faith every day by laying hands on them and ministering life to them, ministering this life of God, this abundant life. Well, Dr. Lake made a statement and uh, uh, said many wonderful things about healing, had an understanding of healing that many, uh, well, very few people in modern-day church seems to have. But uh, but Dr. Lake made a statement like this, and, and, and this was after ministering healing to millions of people. There were, uh, as a matter of fact, in Spokane, Washington, over the 12 years, I think it was, that he had his healing rooms, there were 500,000 documented cases of healing. Now, that doesn't count the other ones that weren't documented, but there were 500 documented cases. That means people that were healed who the same doctor that said that they were sick now said that they were well. Documented cases of healing, over 500,000 of them. Well, he had uh, easily that kind of results because he ministered in mass in South Africa. So he'd probably laid hands on and ministered healing to over a million people by the time he said this. But he said this. He made this statement. Dr. Lake said, the Christian is not to present his body for healing, but rather to live in a continuous experience of the life of God. Then he went further and made this statement. He said, the believer who knows what the life of God means within him is conscious of and exercises a dominion over all the works of the devil that very uh, very few others will ever realize. Now, folks, that's what life abundantly is all about. Abundant life doesn't mean you get your prayers answered. Abundant life means you exercise dominion over the devil. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. This is during Jesus' ministry, and he sends the 70 out. Now, folks, I would uh, I would suggest this to you for your consideration, and that is it's easy to look at some things in, in Jesus' ministry and say, yeah, well, those were the apostles. The 70 were not apostles. The 70 were disciples. The 70 were what we would call laymen, and the only difference between what we know of as laymen in the church and them is they weren't saved. They were unsaved followers of Jesus. That's all they were. That's all any of, as far as historical record or the Bible is, it tells us, that's all any of them ever made. That's as far as they went. They were just unsaved followers of Jesus. And Jesus sent the 70 out and he told them what to do. He gave them commission. Let's look at a little bit of what he said to them. Starting in chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, it says, After these things the Lord appointed seventy other also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where he himself would come. And then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest has sent forth laborers into his harvest. We'll skip down verse 8. It says, Into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein. Notice the city receiving them was was. Uh, notice that healing the sick was contingent and dependent upon the city receiving them. He did not say into the cities that don't receive you, make, them, make the people get healed anyway. Prove something to them. It's not the way it works. It says into whatsoever city they, you enter and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you and heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, I've got some special power from God. not what he told them to say is it he said and say to them the kingdom of god has come nigh unto you 
The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Now, there's two ways we can look at that. There's two ways that we can interpret the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Number one, it could be Jesus sent me. Well, that's certainly true. But don't think that that puts them in a special position because Jesus sent you too. You've got the same commission to go into all the world as as the 12 did. You've got the same commission to shine your light upon the world as the apostles did. In that regard, they didn't have anything extra over you or me or anybody else. We've got a responsibility to occupy till Jesus comes. That's not the apostles' ministry. That's yours and mine. That's the church's ministry. Well, how are we supposed to occupy? Take territory back from the devil. In other words, exercise dominion. Exercise dominion. So he said, heal the sick that are there in the cities that receive you. Heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Oh, I, I only said one of the two. There's two ways we can look at that. That could mean Jesus sent them specifically, or it could mean the time has come for the kingdom of God to be open to man. Now, which one is it? I think it's both. It'd be real easy to pick one over the other and say, well, no, this is it. But the other one still fits. When Jesus is saying the kingdom of, or telling them to say the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you, the reason that he's sending them is because they're going before him. And his whole purpose is to go and tell the people, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, that abundant life comes through the cross. And Jesus hadn't yet been to the cross, so all he could tell them is, I am here to show you God's plan for showing his goodness and his mercy unto mankind. Knowing full well that he's going to the cross and when he's raised from the dead, you can have that kingdom of God inside you. You can have the same life of God inside you that he had inside of him that gave him power and dominion over the devil and sickness. So whichever way you want to look at it, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. It still fits for you and me today. There's no way you can squeeze out of this. It's ours. Just as much as it was theirs. Then it says, into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you not. This is verse 10. Go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth upon us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. In other words, he's saying, into the cities that you go into, and they won't receive you, leave the cities and tell them, you had your chance. The kingdom of God was available to you. Now again, whether that means through them, or because Jesus is coming, either way, Jesus said, if people reject you, they're rejecting me. So the 70 returned again, verse 17, the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. Now, if you go back and read the previous verses, you'll find out Jesus didn't say one word about authority over the devil. Didn't say one word about casting the devil out. Didn't say one word about getting people delivered from the power of the devil. Didn't say one word about the devil in any form whatsoever. But the 70, fine, through the use of the name that he gave them, that they had authority over the devil. They knew they had authority over sickness. Jesus told them to go in and heal the sick in the cities that would receive them. That's pretty obvious. Can't heal the sick unless you got authority over sickness. But not one word was said about authority over the devil or dominion over the devil. Yet the disciples, through the use of the name of Jesus, found out that they had authority over the devil. They found out that the devils, even the devils, were subject to them in the name of Jesus. Folks, I would submit to you that most Christians never get to the place of the unsaved followers of Jesus. 
to recognize that the devil, that they have authority and dominion over the devil through the name of Jesus, through his name. Man, if that would happen in 95% of the churches around the world today, you'd have an instant revival. If one believer, one Christian found out that they had, that they really had authority and dominion over the devil, that'd spark a revival worldwide. Because most of the churches are sitting around praying for God to do something about the devil. Don't you agree? So the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Now, I like the way they said that. They said, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. In other words, we found out your name works to such great extent that it works even on the devil. They know that it works on sickness. They know it works against disease. We found out that it works in every aspect, even over the devil himself. I like that. And Jesus said, yeah, this was a special occurrence. Don't expect this to happen again. No, and Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, what is he saying? Is he saying, when you used my name, Satan fell? No, that's not when Satan fell. When did Jesus behold Satan fall from heaven like lightning? When he rebelled before the earth was ever formed. When Satan took a third of the angels and, and started a war against God and God cast him out of heaven. I like how Jesus described how that fight went. He didn't say, I beheld Satan fighting against God and over time, through some lucky breaks in the war, Satan was defeated. No, I said, God cast Satan out of heaven like lightning. You have ever seen lightning come from the sky? You know how it just floats down real calmly? No, it hits with a thud, doesn't it? And as soon as it it hits, everybody scatters. I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Instantly. Folks, there was not a fight. Satan rebelled against God with a third of the angels, and God ended it instantly. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus' point is to say, yeah, Satan's been defeated from the beginning. You guys may not have known that. But Satan's been a defeated foe from the beginning. I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Verse 19, behold, I give unto you power. The word power here is the word authority. To tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power. Now, this is a different word power. It means ability. First word means authority. The second word means ability. He said, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power, ability of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And then notice what Jesus said. He said, but don't rejoice about this. He said, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In other words, he's saying, don't make a big deal about having authority over the devil. That's commonplace. Now, why do we make a big deal about authority over the devil? Because the church doesn't realize it's commonplace. The church doesn't realize it's just an automatic byproduct of having your name written in the Lamb's book of life. It's an automatic byproduct of having this abundant life that Jesus came to bring us. It's a byproduct of having the life of God. There is not one Christian, not one person that's ever been saved that was ever under the dominion of the devil. 
Now, they may have put themselves there. They may have allowed him to have place in their lives. But every Christian, every person that's ever named the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior has automatically, instantly become Satan's master. And notice what he uh, has authority over. Jesus said, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. That's just uh, an illustration of the devil and the devil's power. Tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power, all the ability of the devil. Well, doesn't sickness fall under the devil's ability? The Bible says so. The Bible says in Acts 10, 38 about Jesus and his ministry, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Who did Jesus heal? All that were oppressed of the devil. Why were people sick? Because they were oppressed of the devil. So what did Jesus do about it? He exercised authority and dominion over sickness and healed them. The Bible says the same thing belongs to even, it belonged to even the unsaved followers of Jesus. I wonder if it belongs to the saved followers of Jesus. No, God wanted the unsaved followers to have more than we've got. How foolish to even think something like that. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, rejoice because of the life of God inside of you. Accept that you've got authority over the devil. And rejoice because of the life of God within. You know, it's an amazing thing to me. How much reverence people have for the devil in his sickness. It's just, it just amazes me. Because people will come to healing school and, 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 you know, a lot of times if they haven't been here, they don't know what, what takes place. And, and, and I don't know, maybe we ought to change the name. Uh, I'm not going to, but maybe the name healing school gives people the wrong idea. Maybe, uh, but, but I'm, I'm, tr- I'm not trying to name it something where people will think that we're going to lay hands on the sick every time they come. I told the story this morning. It uh, bears repetition. There's, uh, I got an email this week from a lady that, uh, uh, lives some distance away, too far away to be able to come regularly. She's been here a couple of times, and she's got MS, multiple sclerosis. I think, however you say it, MS. And so um, uh, she said that the first time she came, she was she had seen just the blurb on on uh, the advertisement on uh, the TV program, and so she came and she expected the same thing that most other people expect first time they come that we're going to lay hands on the sick and it's a healing service and it's a special you know thing where where healing is ministered and and that type of thing. And so she said, when I came to the service and you didn't lay hands on me, she said, I was very disappointed. So I came up and talked to you afterwards, expecting that you'd lay hands on me then. Well, folks, by the lady's name, I don't know who she is. I mean, she could be here tonight. I don't know. And, and if I saw her, maybe I'd remember her or something, but chances are really pretty slim even on that. But she said that when she came up, that I wouldn't pray for her, but that I sent her back to the bookstore to get some materials on healing. Well, that's pretty common for me because if I see somebody's not ready to have hands laid on them, I know I'm wasting my time to pray. Because what's going to happen in most cases like that, if somebody's not prepared with the word of God in their heart, they're going to look for me to do something. And if something doesn't happen immediately, then they're going to assume that we don't have the power and therefore they give up. So it can be a hindrance to their faith rather than a help. So if if I don't... If I can't tell that somebody's ready to, to have hands laid on them, I'll usually send them back to the bookstore or show them something in the Word for them to, to start building themselves up. Well, apparently that disappointed her too. 
I can't make anybody happy, you know. Maybe it's because I don't try. But anyway, um, she went back to the bookstore, and I directed her a specific book, I guess, according to what she was saying. And she got that book, and she went home, and she started reading it just like I told her to and, and, uh, and that type of thing. And, and the whole of the email was, the Word of God has become so alive in my life. Now, folks, that's the best testimony there is. She said, the word of God has become so real and so alive in my life. She said, I've, I've now been baptized in the Holy Ghost and I speak with other tongues and I'm seeing God do things in my family. And she said, and even the symptoms of my MS have begun to diminish, although I don't go by what I see. I love that. Now, that's a woman that take hold of her healing. You watch. Whether it's little by little or she just wakes up one morning and is gone. She's got things in the right order now. The Word of God will have an effect on you, folks. The Word of God will have an effect on you. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Paul writes to the saints at Rome and makes a a, a wonderful statement inspired by the Holy Ghost. We'll start reading in verse 15. He said, so as much as 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 is... So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What a wonderful statement. Folks, i got to tell you, to come to that place where you're not ashamed of what you believe and who you believe in, there is such liberty there. When I was a teenager, I was so ashamed. People knew I was a Christian. I grew up in the church, but I didn't want to be like, I didn't want to be associated with, well, I don't know how to say it. I wanted to be thought of as cool. I wanted the other guys to to like me. I, I didn't want them to, you know, stop their conversation when I walked up. I wanted to be thought of as cool. I was ashamed. And as a matter of fact, I did some things that I am now so regretful about. Because there were times I picked the people and picked the guys or the group or whoever above Jesus. Now, I couldn't even tell you who those people are. That's how important they wound up being in my life. Yet I was willing to give up something that Jesus died for me to have because I was ashamed. But I remember very specifically coming to the place where I don't care who thinks what. I know this is true. I know the word of God is true. I know the love of God for me is right. Nothing's going to change that ever. And I don't care if anybody and everybody else doesn't like it, my position. I am not going to be ashamed anymore. I'm telling you what, from that day forward, there's been a freedom that I never had. I was the most miserable Christian in the world. Because I was trying to live like the world and still stay close to Jesus. And you can't do it. At least you can't be happy doing it. It becomes work. I do things at night with the, with the group and hate myself the next morning. God didn't hate me, but boy, I hated myself. Wasn't a matter of whether or not God forgave me. I couldn't forgive myself. I thought so little of myself because I was ashamed. I thought so little of myself because I did not have the courage to stand up and do what I knew was right. Biggest regrets I've got in my life is that right there.
Really the only regrets I have in my life. So Paul said, I'm not ashamed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel of Christ, is the power of God unto salvation. Now this word salvation means a variety of things. It means everything that Jesus purchased for you. Salvation does not just mean forgiveness of sins. Church I grew up in, that's all salvation ever meant. It means forgiveness of sins. Well, we just read in Isaiah 53, 5, that it meant not only forgiveness of your individual sins, but forgiveness of sin, the sin that came upon mankind. Sin, singular. It also meant sickness. Jesus paid the price for sickness, and Jesus paid the price for poverty. This word salvation in the Greek literally means to rescue, to deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to heal. It means five things. The power of God is the power and to rescue you. The power of God is the power to deliver you. Or the word of God is the power of God to deliver you. The word of God is the power to make you safe and keep you safe. The word of God is the power of God to make you sound of mind. And the word of God is the power of God to heal you. And it's all in the word. Now, who does the word belong to? Special people? Ministers? Doesn't the word belong to everybody? Doesn't the word belong to you as a Christian? It belongs to the world to tell them that Jesus is the Savior. But that's really the, the extent that it belongs to the world. From that point on, it belongs to the church to tell us who saved us and what belongs to us because he did. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the word of God, the gospel of Christ, is the power of God or the righteousness of God, excuse me, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, from saving faith to living faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now let's see what Paul meant by this. He, he de declared this and claimed this, but let's see if, if it lines up with the way that he lived. Turn with me to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, it tells us that they were in a certain place in the region of Galatia and found out that there was an assault being made or going to be made by the Gentiles and the Jews just to uh, take them captive and to stone them. And so they left one place and went to another city. They went to the cities of Lystra and Derbe and the cities of Lyconia and under the region that lies round about. Verse 7, it says, and there they preached the gospel. Verse 8, and there sat a certain man at Lystra. So we know he's preaching the gospel. I wonder if this is the same gospel that he said that he's not ashamed of in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. You think? Would the Holy Ghost tell us, inspire Luke to tell us about preaching the gospel and that be a different message than Paul said what he wasn't ashamed of in Romans 1? Why would the Holy Ghost inspire Paul to call it the gospel of Christ if it's a different gospel that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to call the gospel? It's the same message. Got to be the same. Well, let's see what that message does. And there they preach the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who, steadfastly beholding him, the crippled man, and perceiving that he, the crippled man, had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. What did Paul understand about this gospel message that he preached? He understood that he had authority over sickness and disease. He understood without having to pray, 
without having to seek God, without trying to, to find some special will or special uh, exception or, or purpose from God. He didn't have to try to find out who made this guy sick. He didn't have to pray and say, now, Lord, is this guy crippled because you want him to be crippled? Never entered into his mind. Why? Because people that are sick are sick because of the devil, not because of God. Always. You can find, can't find anybody in Jesus' ministry that Jesus ever stopped and said, now, wait a minute, God wants you to have this sickness because he's trying to teach you something. Why? Because he knows that the thief has one purpose, and that is to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and sickness does all of those. So sickness can never be of God, and it's always got to be of the devil. That's why the Bible says that Jesus went about doing good, Acts 10.38. Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. When God's with you, you heal. When the devil's oppressing somebody, they're sick. So Paul takes this gospel, and Paul's gospel included healing. Paul's gospel included dominion over sickness and disease. Paul's gospel included dominion over the devil and authority thereof. Now, the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. What does that mean? That means you can't have faith for healing by hearing preaching on water baptism. That means you can't have faith for healing by hearing preaching on the forgiveness of sins. That means you can't have faith for healing by hearing preaching on church membership. If you're going to have faith for healing, you're going to have to have heard what the Bible says about healing because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You can only have faith for what you've heard. You couldn't have faith to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you hadn't heard some way that Jesus died on the cross. It's impossible. That's why you get so many people that are trying to pray too quickly to receive healing. They've never heard anything about what the Bible says concerning healing. They just try to take a chance that God will do something for them. That's what I meant when I said earlier, we pray for some people too quickly. Paul wrote to the church and said, lay hands suddenly on no man. And then he said, be not a partaker of another man's sins. See, a lot of times you can do more damage than you do good by praying for somebody without giving them the truth of the word first. Why? Because the gospel, the truth of the word, is the power of God to heal or rescue or deliver or whatever. So don't ever pray for anybody without telling them what the Bible says about it first. Now, it doesn't matter if you just plant a little seed. You see somebody sick at the office, say, hey, can I pray for you? Yeah, sure, anything, whatever, whatever might help. Fine. Well, the Bible says these signs will follow them that believe in my name. The believers will lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we lay hands on this person. We thank you for supernatural recovery. That's easy enough. But you've got to give them something about what the Bible says. Because the power is not in you. The power is in the word in you. Can you say amen? So Paul's gospel had to include healing. If the man has faith to be healed, and the Bible's real specific about that, real clear on that, if the Bible says, and it does, that the man had faith to be healed, then he had to have heard Paul preach healing, or else he couldn't have had faith to be healed. So I wonder what Paul's preaching. First time in the city, I wonder what he's preaching. Well, he's got to be, pre- he's got to be preaching about the sacrifice of Jesus. 
And the sacrifice of Jesus that he's preaching about has to include the sacrifice that Jesus made to bring healing for the people of God. Or healing to mankind, really. Not just the people of God. It belongs to anybody that will receive it. But how much more so is it for his, his own people? That's why Lake said that healing, uh, that Christians shouldn't present their bodies for healing again and again and again. They should live in the dominion over sickness. I love that. How many times do we think about things like that? And see, this is what it means where John wrote to the church saying, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You've already got dominion over sickness and disease. You don't need to be prayed for to have dominion. You got dominion when you made Jesus the Lord of your life. That's okay to be prayed for and, and have somebody help you. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have dominion. I can hear people thinking already. They're saying, well, Pastor Mike, I just don't think I do. Why? Because the devil made a special case out of you? Do you realize that's pride? Well, no, Pastor Mike, I'm just so unworthy. Really? Jesus said you're not. Yeah, but I just feel like I am. Oh, okay, well, now we're in common territory. We all feel like we are. That doesn't mean we are. Jesus said that we were made worthy by his blood. That means every believer has dominion over the uh, dominion and authority over the devil and all of the devil's works. Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus said, and you'll feel like you have dominion over all the devil's works. And I'd go for that. That'd be fun. But that wouldn't work either. Then we'd start trusting in our feelings. So there they preached the gospel. That gospel had to include healing. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, being impotent from his impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, the crippled man, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. I want you to understand something. This guy, from one thing he heard about Jesus and what Jesus, the price that Jesus paid for sickness and disease, one message caused him to have faith to overcome a lifelong condition. Of being a cripple. Now I got to ask you a question. Is this because Paul was such a great speaker? Most people aren't aware of the scriptures that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Where he said look I know what everybody says about me. You You say that I stutter and I don't speak very well. Paul was not a great speaker. When Paul and Barnabas started out. Barnabas was the main speaker. Paul only became the chief speaker after he and Barnabas split up. Apparently, it never was God's plan for Paul to be the chief speaker in the group. He hooked him up with somebody that was a lot better speaker than he was. Everybody liked Barnabas. He was the encourager. Paul said of himself, I know what you say. My speech is really bold in these letters, but when I get there, I'm timid and weak, and I'm, 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 I can't make my sentences good. I can relate to this guy. Well, then it couldn't have been his great oratory skills. What was it? Folks, it's the power, it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. It's the word itself. It's not the delivery of the word. It's not the charisma of the guy who says the word. It's the word. The gospel of Christ, the word of God itself, is the power of God to heal. And that's been given to you. So let's recap. What do you have? You have authority over the devil. 
dominion thereof over sickness and everything else that's the devil's. You have the word of God that is the power of God to rescue, to heal, to deliver, to make safe and make sound. And you have the life of God within you. The life that contradicts everything the devil uses to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Killing, stealing, and destroying is all done away with by the life of God that you've been given in abundance. It's all yours. It's all yours. The thief cometh not but for to kill, steal, and destroy. I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Let me tell you one last story and we'll go. John Lake again told a story about a fellow that, uh, that, well, I guess I better back up a little bit. Lake's ministry was divided into different segments. They had what they called a native ministry. And this native ministry would be where they would send guys out into the, to the bushes and the villages and, and many times they would send somebody out and they wouldn't return for a year or so. I mean, they'd go far reaching type things. He also had a city ministry there in Cape Town, South Africa that, uh, that was, um, aimed at and, and centered around the people that lived in, in and around town. But the native ministry went out into the bush. He said that there was a, a, a fellow that they sent out into the bush. And he said, we sent him out and, and never heard from him again. We were concerned about him. And he said, one day this guy comes in, comes in from the bush. And he's got 75 people with him. He's been out for several years. Now, what was significant about these 75 people is that they were all lepers who had been healed. He said some of them were missing noses. Some of them were missing fingers and toes. Others missing ears. He said, but they sat down and had a meal together. And this one man, he said, the only thing this guy owned, the only clothing this guy owned was a goat skin. And he sits there. Lake said, I'm sitting there in the presence of a man with 75 lepers who were healed. He said, we invited this man to speak. There were others there at this, this uh, you know, they had a big dinner and that kind of thing. And, and uh, a lot of people were there and they wanted to give the testimony. So they invited this guy to speak. Now, here's this native minister wearing a goatskin, only thing he had to his name, with these 75 lepers that had been healed. He stood up and he's not used to preaching in public. His ministry was one-on-one in the leper colony and that kind of thing. So he wasn't used to crowds and that, that type of thing. So Lake said he, he stuttered and he stammered and he, he was nervous and, and, and that kind of thing. And finally he just said, I've based our ministry on one thing. And that is the dominion we have in the name of Jesus over all the power of the devil. He said, these 75 men all sitting there in a row or however had them grouped up. He said, these 75 people are a testimony of the dominion that we have, the life of God that takes authority over the devil's work and sat down. Everybody sat there in silence for about 45 minutes. Lake asked him later. He said, well, to have this many, many people, these many lepers healed, you must have a special anointing in the, in the area of working with lepers. And he said, no, that's just all the people that lived where I went. He said, I don't have a special anointing for lepers. He said, I just saw a group of people. I went out to minister to them. You sent me out to minister to people. I found a group of people and ministered to them. See, we look and see things like that and hear stories like that, and we think, oh, what special work of God it must take. No, it doesn't. 
Same authority over the devil cures lepers as cures cancer and it cures paralysis and cures colds and everything else. It's the life of God, folks. It's the life of God. And that same life of God in you can be transferred to other people as you speak the word of God, which is the power of God to heal. It's just that simple. That's why you don't have to be in a healing service. That's why you don't have to stay in a healing service because you can stay in the word. And the word is the power of God that heals. Every day that you confess the word of God in your situation, you are putting yourself under the anointing of God. And the only reason I use the anointing of God is because there's so much made nowadays about people with special anointings. Well, Pastor Mike, do you have a special anointing? Not that I know of. But that's okay because I've got the word. And the word is the power of God to heal. Thank God for his word. Thank God for his word. Thank God for his word. You know, if you just did that, if somebody just started there, I remember F.F. Bosworth telling the story. Somebody came and, and had been prayed for by everybody in the world, been to every healing evangelist meeting and so forth, been prayed for by everybody and got no better. And so he realized this when he, he started to minister to her. He realized that was the case. And he knew that if he laid hands on her, he'd just be another one on the list. She'd be missing it all together and not receive what she needed. So he said, ma'am, will you do what I ask you to? And she said, well, I will if it's easy. He said, it's the easiest thing in the world. He said, can you begin to thank God for your healing? And she said, well, no, I don't think I can do that. I'm not healed. See, she's thinking healing comes when she feels it or she sees a change in her body. She doesn't realize that faith speaks before it sees. So he says, well, okay, I understand where you're coming from. Didn't put her down. Says, okay, I understand where you're coming from. Can you thank God for his word? She said, well, yeah, sure, I can do that. He said, all right, then here's what I want you to do every day. I want you to get up every morning and make this confession. And before you go to bed, make this confession before you go to bed. And, and if you think about it any time during the day, make this confession any time you think about it. I want you to say this. Thank you, Father, for your word. And according to your word, by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. He showed her in the word. She knew where the Bible said that. So she said, well, yeah, okay, I can do that. But she said, but what good is that going to do? He said, don't you bother about that, ma'am. You just do what I ask you to do. That's your job. That's your assignment. Can you do that? And she said, well, yeah, sure, I can do that. Well, in 10 days' time, she's perfectly healed. Why? Because she's speaking the word. Now, you can't tell me she was operating in some great measure of faith because she asked the question, what good is this going to do? But it was the spoken word. Not because she thought it was going to do any good. Not because she felt like it was going to be profitable. But because she was willing to do what he asked her to do. She simply said what the word said over herself. And in 10 days time she was perfectly healed. Now she had spent years getting prayed for by every minister around. Spending thousands of dollars traveling to every great minister in healing revival and so forth. Yet in 10 days time she was perfectly healed. Because she was willing to speak what God's word says. Didn't matter what she felt about it. Didn't matter what she thought about it. She simply said the word. In 10 days time she was well. Tell me the word's not powerful. Thank God for his word. Thank God for his word. The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life. 
Oh, folks, that life has, has come to us because we made Jesus the Lord of our lives. And the life is in the word. The life and the power is in the word. Let's all stand. Let's just lift our hands and thank God for his word. Because his word says, by Jesus' stripes, we are healed. So when you're thanking him for his word, you're thanking him for your healing. Oh, thank you, Father, that your word is true. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. No matter how we feel, no matter what the doctor says, no matter what the diagnosis is, thank you, Father, that your word is true. And according to the word of God, we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank you that that life of God enables us to exercise dominion over sickness and disease. So in Jesus' name, we take authority over sickness by lifting our hands and thanking you for your word, Father. We take authority over sickness and disease that attacks our body. Satan, we are not your property. We reject you and everything that that belongs to you. We refuse to accept sickness and disease in any form, in any measure. We deny its right to stay in our body. Though we may be attacked with sickness and disease, we refuse to allow it to stay. Because we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. According to the word of God, we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that healing is ours. Thank you, Father, that healing is ours. Thank you, Father, that healing is ours. Through the completed work of Jesus. It's done now. Not going to be done someday. It's already done. Heaven has declared it. And the work is complete. In Jesus' precious name. Now thank him for it. Thank him for it. Thank you that that's true, Father. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the authority and the dominion that we have in the name of Jesus. Thank you that the gospel of Christ is the gospel of healing. And it's the power of God to bring healing in our bodies. So good to be healed, Father. So good to walk in health. So good to be conscious of the dominion and the authority that we have over the devil and all of his works. It's so good to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We're not ashamed, Father. We're not ashamed of you. We're not ashamed of Jesus. We're not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. We're not ashamed of the fact that we speak in other tongues because we're filled with the Spirit. We're not ashamed of the healing power of God. No matter what anybody says or thinks about it, we are not ashamed. We are not ashamed. Thank you, Father, for making your word good in our lives. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Say this after me. I'm healed. According to God's word, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Amen. That's how you exercise dominion over the devil. You declare what God's word says instead of what's in your body. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.